Welcome to Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. Want to connect with Howie? Email him at Howie at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Now here's your host, Howie Silberger. My entire adult life has been spent working in Jewish buildings. Ever since I was a kid, I've always worked for the Jewish community, uh, doing one thing or another. I've been doing this show, a Jewish radio show, for the last 18 years, more than 18 years. I've been doing the show for 30 years. 18 years on Radio Shalom, seven, eight years right here, college radio. We, we've done the show everywhere. And in all that time, I've been happy to do this show. I've been happy to be here. I've been happy to talk about the issues that I think are important to talk about, uh, that I think the Jewish community doesn't talk enough about, that I think that we should continue talking about. And that's why I do the show. I do the show because I feel that there are issues that we must talk about that don't get talked about enough. And I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to stand here and sit here and talk about these issues. This, is, this, is, this makes me happy because I think that the more we discuss it, the more we talk about stuff, the better it is for everybody. Now, the one thing that's bothered me since I started working uh, in media and working on Jewish radio is the terminology that's used by a lot of Jews. So what do I mean by that? So when Jews use the term Palestinian, when they talk about the Israel-Arab war, what they're basically doing is conceding the fact that there are people calling, who are called Palestinians who are legitimately uh, the rightful owners of some land in that area. Nothing could be farther from the truth. This is not the truth. This is a mythology that was created in 1964 by an Egyptian named Yasser Arafat who founded an organization with the backing of the Arab League called the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Now, the idea behind the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, was quite simple. It was created solely to destroy Israel from the inside out. You see, the Arabs had tried to destroy Israel from the outside in. They attacked Israel in 1948. They had attacked Israel in 1952. And they had lost both of those wars. In 1956, they tried again. They lost again. So in 1964, they decided to take a different tactic. Let's set up an organization that will claim to be the indigenous people of the land. We will set them up with a lot of money and a charismatic leader who will have the funding to do what he wants to do, however he wants to handle this. But there are two things that he will do. His goal will be, number one, the destruction of the state of Israel and the annihilation of the people living there. That is right, the annihilation of the people living there, not the, not the uh, relocation, not the, uh, the expulsion and sent somewhere else, the murder of the people living there. Now, how do we know that the murder is what they want? Because they've never been shy in saying it. We just have been shy in listening and, and understanding what they're saying, but they've never been shy in saying it. If you think about Gabal Abdul Nasser, who, who was the head of Egypt during the 1956 war, his message was extremely clear. He said, throw the Jews into the sea. He didn't say move the Jews to New York. He didn't say move the Jews to London or to, 
or to anywhere in Europe where they allegedly came from. He said, throw the Jews into the sea. Throw the Jews, not the Israelis, not the Zionists, the Jews. So let's be clear. The goal is the annihilation of the Jewish people. That was the goal in 1948. That was the goal in 1952. That wasn't the goal in 1956. That wasn't the goal in 1967. It's the goal in 1973. And so on and so on and so on. It was the goal in 2010, 2012, 2014. It was the goal in 2021, 2023, and 2024. The goal has not changed. The goal is throw the Jews into the sea. Annihilate the people from the river to the sea. Destroy everything in between. Kill anyone standing in your way. That has been the goal from day one. Now, the Jewish community, Jewish community leaders, Jewish organizations that are paid to be outraged have been afraid to say this, have been afraid to point out the obvious. The Hamas Charter is the obvious point out. Hey, take a look. The Hamas Charter says very clearly that their goal is to annihilate Jews within the borders of Israel and the Jews living anywhere else in the world. It's very clear. Just read the charter. It's extremely clear. Now, some will argue that the charter was changed. Okay, the 1988 charter is not the same as the charter is today. It was changed. They took out all the references to murdering Jews. Yippee. They did us a favor. They took out the references to wanting to annihilate us. Doesn't change the will. Doesn't change the idea behind it. Doesn't change the ideology. They just took out the writing to appease the Americans because they wanted American money. Money controls everything. So Yasser Arafat was given the money and told, do what you want to do in order to get rid of the country of Israel and the people who are in the country. So Yasser Arafat created a whole new method of terrorism. Plane hijackings, bus bombings. He created it all. Munich, the Munich Olympics, murdering innocent athletes competing at the Olympics. Yasser Arafat did it all and became a folk hero. Won the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts. Was resurrected twice by Israel because the alternative to the PLO, a murderous organization, was worse was Hamas. And to what avail? Well, his millions of dollars that he put into PR worked. This myth that the Palestinian people, that these Arabs, are actually Palestinian. It worked. The myth took hold. The media ran with it. It's very hard today to argue anywhere that the Palestinian people don't exist, although it's true that they were made up people, that they were created in 1964. It's very hard to argue that today because the brainwashed will stay brainwashed. Because the universities have taken on the, the mantra that Israel is the enemy, the vast enemy, the, the Western enemy, and it must be destroyed. So the only way to destroy and delegitimize Israel is to run with the myth that Israel has no legitimate right to exist. It's the only country in the world where people question the right to exist. Why do we accept that? In my entire career, advocating for Israel, in my entire career working on radio, having 
countless debates with people who hate Israel and hate Jews. There has been one non-starter. So if you come onto my show or you, come, or you meet me in the street and you want to have a debate with me, I'd be more than happy to discuss it with you. I'd be more than happy to have a debate with you. I'd be more than happy to stand in front of a crowd of 1,000 people, 10,000 people, and debate you. It's not a problem. But there's a couple of things, a couple of rules that we have to start with. Rule number one is that we live in reality. So if we're starting with the lie that Israel does not have the legitimate right to exist, and you're expecting me to defend Israel's right to exist, then we're not having this discussion because it's a waste of time. It's not a legitimate argument, so I, I'm not going to waste my time trying to debunk an argument that's not legitimate. If you want to talk about international law, take a look at the San Marino Conference of the League of Nations. You want to talk about international law, take a look at the UN Resolution in 1948. Which, which established the state of Israel. That's international law. So that whole argument that Israel has no right to exist, that they're not the legitimate a country, it gets thrown out the window. Second thing that I'm not going to argue, and there's no point in arguing it because it's the most ludicrous thing ever, is that Israel's an apartheid state. If you are calling Israel an apartheid state, if you believe that Israel is an apartheid state, then you have no idea what apartheid was. Then pick up a history book. Read a book. Don't rely on memes to understand history. Pick up a book and read. Speak to people who lived through apartheid, and you'll understand that apartheid is not what Israel is doing. So that's not that argument. I'm just not going to waste my time arguing these points that are dumb. And that's where we've come to. There used to be a time where, where arguing politics was an intelligent thing. And that the people who were arguing were intelligent people who had intelligent arguments. Fine, you want to argue Israeli policy, we could argue Israeli policy from today till the cows come home. And we could do that very respectfully, and we could do that very legitimately, and we could have a great conversation talking about policy. So the Israeli policy of, uh, of house arrests, fine, we could discuss that. The Israeli policy of, uh, of checkpoints, we could discuss that too. The Israeli policy of building a border wall, we could check that too. We, we could discuss all of that. And that's all legitimate discussions. I don't agree with every policy that the state of Israel passes. Of course not. Nobody believes that, nobody agrees with everything a country does. There's a lot of criticism towards the, uh, towards the state of Israel, and I, I have a lot of criticism towards the state of Israel. Nobody should be a blanket follower or a blanket supporter of anybody. But is it legitimate for them to react in the way they react when things happen? Of course it is. As it's legitimate for any country to react in the way they react when things happen. I, I always think that, that people live in a bubble and, and, and that blinders on when it comes to Jews in the state of Israel. A couple of years ago, a bus bombing happened in Jerusalem. And 150 people were killed because the bus blew up and killed a bunch of people on the street and killed everyone on the bus. And it was around 100, I think it was 150 or 100 people were killed and 50 were injured. It was a large number of people who were injured and killed. And uh, I, I was invited to speak on a, on a radio show, not my radio show, but another radio show. I was invited as a guest onto a show. And there was another Jewish 
anti-Israel speaker. And this is beyond my comprehension how any Jew could support the enemy, but fine, no problem. A Jewish anti-Israel speaker was on the show, and he uh, he sat down and he said to me, and he said to me, this is a legitimate response to an oppression. So the people who blew up the bus are legitimately responding to a military oppression. And I, uh, I calmly, quite calmly said, no, you're wrong. You are 100% wrong. This is not a legitimate response to anything. This is terrorism. A legitimate response to an oppression, a military oppression, is an attack on soldiers. A, an attack on soldiers is a total legitimate response to any oppression. If it's a military oppression, the soldiers are oppressing you. And if you attack the soldiers, that's attack on the state. If you assassinate a politician, that's an attack on the country, on, on the state. If you attack civilians, then you are committing terrorism. That's a war crime. That's an attack on people who are defenseless. A soldier's job is to kill or be killed. Soldier goes into the position of being a soldier. Sometimes they're drafted, and in the case of Israel, they, they have no choice. But when they pick up the gun and put on the uniform, they know they're an open target and that they are there to either kill or be killed. That is the, that is the job of a soldier. And if they're attacked, they represent the country. So the attack on a soldier is the attack on a country. And, and I can live with an attack on a country. It's an act of war. And so when a country reacts to an attack of war and goes and, 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 goes and, and retaliates in whatever way it retaliates to defend itself, I am totally in favor of that. Any country. So if Mexicans attacked Texas and America went in strong into Mexico to get rid of the terrorists that attacked Texas, I'm good with that. And if the American if the American border guards are attacked and the Americans send in their troops to to defend their borders, I'm good with that too. An attack on a soldier is an attack on a country. It's an act of war. And if you're going to commit an act of war, expect a retaliation of war. That's what happens. You can't attack soldiers and expect them to be docile and lie over and then say, okay, you attacked us, attack us again. That's not the way soldiers work. It's not the way countries work. It's not the way war works. But apparently that's okay for every country in the world except for Israel. The double standard is astounding. So this bus bombing that I was talking about, the guy says it's a legitimate act of resistance. And I said, really? There were five children that were killed on that bus. How are those five children responsible for any oppression or anything? Why did they deserve to die? And the chilling answer I got, and it was really chilling, was that they will grow up to be soldiers. So they were legitimate targets. Which means, in essence... That all Jews living in Israel are legitimate targets because at one point or another they were either soldiers or they will be soldiers. Or their mothers are soldiers, so we have to kill the mothers in order so that they don't give birth to more soldiers. What a horrible way to look at a country. What a horrible way to look at a people. What a horrible way to look at humanity. Does that mean that everybody's a legitimate target? Because anybody could give birth to a tyrant. A tyrant will grow up to kill millions of people. Anybody could give birth to one of those. 
anybody in the world could grow up or could become in a very short period of time a horrible person, a horrible mass murderer, a horrible tyrant, a horrible rapist, a horrible whatever. It's very possible. In that case, do we have the right, the legitimate right to go and kill everybody in the world? I'm sure that anybody who's listening to the show will say, no, you're crazy. That is an absolutely absurd statement. And it is. But it's just as absurd as the statement that we killed these children, these children died because they'll grow up to be soldiers. They were legitimate targets. But these are the arguments that are being used. And in order to answer these arguments, we have to step back and we have to say, wait a second. There's certain terminology that we're not going to use or we're not going to accept. There are certain there are certain. Um, theories that we're not going to accept, and there are no starters, really. We have, to, we have to say, listen, there is a baseline that we start with. The baseline that we start with in any debate about Israel is that Israel has legitimate right to exist and a legitimate right to defend itself and defend its borders and defend its population. In fact, they have the responsibility to defend their borders and defend their, to defend their population. Now let's talk about everything else. So if we agree on that baseline, then we have discussion. If we don't believe on that, if we don't agree on that baseline, then there's nothing to talk about. Because I'm not going to convince you. If you're convinced and you're brainwashed that Israel has no right to exist, I'm not going to be able to convince you that Israel has a right to exist. That, that, that argument is moot. There's no way to convince you. You've already made up your mind. Once you made up your mind, there's no way to convince you. And I'm not going to waste my time trying. Now, the old adage that you don't argue with the, you argue with the person, not for the person, but for everybody standing around and listening, is true. I mean, it's the, it's the essence of media, right? When you have two pundits sitting on, uh, on a show fighting each other, it's not for these pundits. They're not going to change each other's minds, but it's for the audience listening who might get swayed by an argument here, an argument there. Uh, so, so you're trying to sway people to support your cause. So that is very true, and, uh, and that factors in sometimes to having a debate or not having a debate on a certain topic. But at the end of the day, how many people are you really going to convince based on a 10-minute conversation, a 15-minute conversation? Sure, you'll get, you'll get your people who will say, I agree 100% with what he said. What he said was a great argument. And I'm going to use that my next argument. Well, next time I have an argument about this topic, that is the argument I'm going to use. And you'll have the group that'll say, wow, what an idiot. That was a horrible way to talk. And uh, wow, I can't believe it. He crushed him. He, he, he killed him. He murdered him. He slaughtered him. There'll be a hundred different ways of, of saying that who won and who lost on these arguments. At the end of the day, we have to understand one thing. If you're going to advocate for something, you have to believe it yourself. You cannot advocate for something you don't believe in. And if you're going to have arguments and, and argue about Israel and argue about, uh, about Judaism and, and the legitimate right for people to, to, to live their Jewish lives, then you have to understand what you're arguing. You have to understand the concept. You have to understand the theory. You have to understand everything about the argument. I watched 
It's, it's very unfortunate. But I watched an international talk show where a man came on claiming to be a representative of an organization that supports the state of Israel. And he was put up against a representative of an organization that counters the state of Israel, that says the state of Israel should not exist, that they stole, usurped land from, from the Palestinians, they threw them out in the Nakba, and they, they went through the whole gamut of, uh, of arguments. And I, I sat patiently, I watched a 45-minute uh, argument between these two people. And when it ended, I almost, I almost agreed with the Arab guy. Because the Jewish guy was so ineffective in arguing the point that I was wondering why he would have agreed to go onto a show, a national show that's, that's aired everywhere. Why would he agree to be there? He was killed. He was destroyed by the propaganda from the other side. Not because the propaganda was true or convincing. It wasn't either. He was killed in the argument because he didn't know how to answer. Because he didn't have the facts on hand. And so the entire thing just degraded into a, uh, into a, a huge you know, insult to arguments. They, they were just throwing insults at each other. That's really horrible. The second you start throwing insults in the middle of a debate, you've lost the debate. Debate's over, then you're just insulting each other, and what's the point of anybody listening? Seems counterproductive if you ask me. I don't see the point in it. And so I wonder, and, and I wonder who appoints these people to speak on behalf of the Jewish people, to speak on behalf of the Israeli people? Who appoints them, and Why? Why are they appointed? Then we have the, um, the outrage organizations, the organizations that get paid to be outraged. And those organizations bother me too. When you think about organizations like the, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, that their sole purpose of existence is to find Jew hatred and to argue against Jew hatred. That's the only reason they exist. They get millions of dollars to counter Jew hatred, it's called. They call it countering Jew hatred. And if you look at their, if you look at their, their output, you look at, the, at, at the, the reports that they send out and the, the comments they make, you have to wonder if there's a real need for these kind of organizations. Now there is a little bit. We need people to be screaming and yelling, even though it's not effective and they, they don't do much. But screaming and yelling is, is something that's needed. We need loud people. But in general, these organizations are, have to pay lip service to both ends of the stick because they get paid from both, both sides of the stick. So they speak out of both sides of their mouths, which bothers me a lot. So that's why I don't support any of these organizations. I think that it's time that... Everybody just spoke frankly. We, we shouldn't worry about insulting the other side. Who cares what the other side thinks of us? It brings us to the Hamas-Israel war right now. And this ridiculous notion that Israel is committing a genocide, this ridiculous notion that, uh, that, that Israel's sole goal is to destroy all of Palestine, whatever that is. 
the sole goal of Israel here is to wipe out Hamas. What people don't talk about, which shocks me, because this should be the focus of every conversation from the beginning till the end. So when a Jew gets on to talk about this war, the only thing they should be talking about is October 7th. Now, I know a lot of people are saying October 7th, oh, he's talking too much about October 7th. They said about the Holocaust, too. Jews talk too much about the Holocaust. I don't care if you're sick of hearing it. Stop killing Jews, and we won't talk about the annihilation of Jews. Stop trying to annihilate the Jews. Stop trying to eliminate the Jews. Stop trying to liquidate the Jews. Stop trying to commit genocide against the Jews. Stop trying to burn the Jews. Stop trying to gas the Jews. And the Jews won't talk about it. If you're sick of me talking about you trying to kill me, well, maybe take a different tactic. Don't try to kill me anymore. I won't talk about it. If you don't try to kill me, I won't talk about it. I promise. It's a promise I can make and a promise I can keep. If, you're try- if, you- if you decide that you don't want to kill me, I will stop talking about you trying to kill me. But if you're going to enter my homes, you're going to enter my land, you're going to break into my homes, and you're going to murder my people, you're damn right I'm going to keep talking about it over and over and over and over and over again. And if you get tired of hearing me talk about it, you have two options. And I'll repeat it again, two options. Option number one, stop trying to kill my people. We won't talk about it. Option number two, the option number one. These are your two options. I like giving two options. It makes people feel like they have a choice. But if you're going to try to kill us, you're going to keep talking about killing us, and you're going to keep attempting to kill us, we're going to keep talking about it, and we're going to keep defending ourselves. The difference between Jews of today, of 2024, and Jews of 1940s, is that today we have a strong army and we won't take it anymore. We've learned our lesson through history. Kids ask me in school all the time, why do we learn history? My answer is the same. Each and every time I'm asked the question, my answer is always the same. We learn history simply because we have to learn the patterns of the people who want to come kill us. That's why we learn history. Because if we recognize the patterns and we recognize what happened and how it led up to it, we could avoid it happening again. That is the purpose of learning history. Those who forget history are bound to repeat it. But George Santayana said right after the Holocaust. So we remember history. And we know how we were murdered. And we know how we were annihilated. And we know how we were shipped from country to country and expelled from our land two, three times. We, we understand the history. We understand the history that our, our temple was destroyed and the mosque was built there. We understand. We get it. We accept that we were victims. But we don't accept that we're going to be victimized again. We don't accept that there could be people out there that are calling for our massacre. We can't accept that there are people out there who are committing massacres against us. This is not something we could accept, not something we ever will accept. And now that we have an army, oh, the world gets really upset. 
Oh, look, the Jews aren't laying back and being killed. They're not walking like lambs to the slaughter anymore. Now they're fighting back. So the world loves Jews that want to be slaughtered. Oh, do they love dead Jews? If Jewish blood could, could roll down the street, the world is really happy. Oh, look at that. Dead Jews, those poor souls. We could have done something to save them, but we just weren't in time. We just didn't, we, we just couldn't help them. I wish we could. I feel so bad. Hitler set up a, a, a factory system to murder Jews, to annihilate the Jewish population of Europe and then the world. He set up factories to kill Jews. Full machinery. Factories. And then he planned to build a huge museum to commemorate the Jews that he had wiped off the face of the earth. He stole all the Jews' belongings. He was going to put them into this museum. And this museum was going to be set up for eternity to show that the Germans took down the Jewish people, the Jewish people who were the longest-lasting religion in the world. And this is all that's left of them, a museum, so we can remember them. Look, you know, we, we hated them, we killed them. We have to remember them. It didn't work. But that was his plan. He had plans to build that huge museum in Berlin. They love dead Jews. But you know what? We don't like dying. And we don't like people who want us to die. And we will stand up and we will fight till death for our right to live. We have 17, 18, 19-year-old kids who are sacrificing their lives to defend the Jewish state right now. We have 18-year-old kids who are going door to door in Gaza trying to find terrorists so that they don't take innocent lives. And the world is still calling us genocidal maniacs? Pick up a book. Pick up a newspaper. Read. Man, when the, uh, when the world started taking their news from memes... It got really stupid. The world got really dumb. I have a friend who is a vowed hater of Donald Trump. Can't stand Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the most evil person in the world, according to this friend. And I, uh, I keep asking the friend, well, why is Donald Trump evil? And he keeps sending me memes from like Occupy Democrats and all these other radical left-wing groups. And I keep telling him, okay, fine. I understand what the meme says. I mean, it's not true what the meme says. It's not the full story. It's not even half the story. I understand what the meme says, but why do you hate Donald Trump? Well, look how evil he is. Look at this picture. Look at this. Look at that. But it's not true. What they write is not true. It's propaganda. And so um, after the Charlottesville uh, fiasco, where the white supremacist was walking in Charlottesville a few years ago, and then uh, Donald Trump had a press conference, and it was a really heated press conference. And he was talking about one rally that was happening at the time. And the press was talking about another rally that was happening at the time, and everything got all confused. And he says, Donald Trump supports white supremacy. And he gave me this example that he said that uh, there are good people on both sides. And that's an example that we hear all the time. And... So I dug up the actual transcript of the, 
of the press conference. And Donald Trump actually said, look, let me tell you that there was a rally happening. People, good people came down to this rally in support of these monuments and other people came to oppose the monuments. Now, I'm not talking about the Nazis. He said it very clearly. I'm not talking about the Nazis. I'm talking about the people who were there to support and to oppose the monument that was being taken down. And in that group, there were good people on both sides of that group. And they got into a fight, but there were good people on both sides. He wasn't referring to Nazis. He made it very clear he wasn't. But CNN cut out that part. And since nobody does research anymore, nobody watches anything anymore, nobody listens to anything anymore, the only part that got that got uh, into the public consciousness was him saying there are good people on both sides and he was referring to Nazis. Uh, that's not true. And this is why it's so important for everybody to not take anything at face value. Don't believe a word I say. I, I keep saying this on every show. Don't believe me. Please, don't believe a word I say. Research everything. Look at all sides of the issue. Understand that the media is there to sell advertising. Their eyes, they, they want eyes on their, on their media. And so they'll say anything and do anything in order to generate more and more eyes. More and more clicks, more and more views. So they'll lie to you. Think about clickbait websites. Now, we all know what clickbait websites are. Websites that promise you one thing and give you something else. So they'll give you some tantalizing story about something. And then you'll click on it, it'll be something totally else. That's what media is doing today. That's, that's the only way media is making money. So when they tell you something, don't believe it. Look it up. Do the research yourself. Once you understand that the media is lying to you, once you understand that everything that, that, that they told you is only half-truth, and it's only half-truth based on what their publisher wants, or based on what their audience wants to hear, then you will understand that the opinions that are expressed on these media things are all contrived. I worked for a newspaper who didn't let me print anything that was anti-Israel. So when I wrote a story uh, covering an, an Israel, a pro-Israel and anti-Israel rally, they cut out all the anti-Israel stuff. That's fine. I mean, they, they had the right to do that. I quit the newspaper. Because if you can't be objective and write a story which covers both sides of an issue, then why bother working for the paper altogether? It, it really doesn't make any sense. Then I worked for a radio station which had uh, opposing viewpoints. So they had two hosts in the studio who had opposing viewpoints on any topic. The only problem was that they had an editorial meeting just before the shows where the hosts were assigned their opposing viewpoints. So a host standing there and uh, sitting in, in the studio... And having an argument on the radio with 50,000, 60,000 people listening would be arguing a point that the host probably didn't agree with. They were assigned that point by the program director. It's all contrived. It's all made up. It's all fake. And as long as you could accept the fact that the media is fake, it's all entertainment, and it's all created to keep you watching, once you can accept that, then you can understand that your viewpoint might be skewed. And that's what's happening with the war with Hamas. 
That's what's happening with the idea that Israel's an illegitimate state. And that's why people don't want to take seriously the chant from the river to the sea, which means and calls for the annihilation of the Jewish population. That's why people don't want to look at the Hamas charter and understand that Hamas's goal is the destruction of the Jewish state, the annihilation of the Jewish people around the world. And that Israel's war against Hamas is legitimate and should have happened years ago. But unfortunately, it took the death of 1,500 people, maybe 1,200 to 1,500 people, in order for Israel to take action, which is a failure of the Israeli government, because this should have been done a long, long time ago. And when the American government gets up and condemns the Israeli settlers, passes an executive order condemning Israeli settlers and not condemning Hamas, who is still holding Jewish hostages. And we have to wonder, yet again, who our friends are. How safe are the Jews who are living under a government that condemns the Jews who are the victims? If you did that to a rape victim and said she deserved it because of the way she was dressed, you'd have every woman's rights organization out there screaming at you, calling you a sexist. If you did that to a to a, to a black guy who was killed, like George Floyd, said he deserved to die because he was a thug and a, and a, and a thief. They burned down buildings and they burned down entire cities. But you do that to a Jew, nothing happens. No complaints, no protests, nothing, quiet crickets because the Jewish organizations that should be organizing these protests and organizing the outrage are afraid to because as we discussed before they try to appease everyone and try to please everyone so that the millions of dollars keep running into their organizations they actually took a stand on anything they actually got onto the street and fought for anything they might offend a certain segment of their population and lose money. Nobody wants to risk that. I know it's a sad commentary. Uh, it makes me sad and angry and upset to, to say this, to say this out loud. Unfortunately, we, know it's all, we all know it's true. That's really the unfortunate part of the whole thing. And so... Where do we go from here? How do we change things? How do we make things better? Well, first of all, we have to decide that the terminology we're going to use personally will reflect reality. We have to speak the truth. Can't hide behind these words anymore. So we, we have to stop using words like West Bank. The West Bank of the Jordan River is Judea and Samaria. I have to stop using words like occupied. Israel's not occupying anything. Israel has not an occupier. The lands that were conquered in 1967 and all subsequent and previous wars are legitimately owned by Israel. Although Israel hasn't annexed them, which they should, they are legitimately owned by Israel because if you win land in a defensive war, according to international law, 
that land belongs to you. That's been history throughout the ages. We have to stop accepting that Israel expelled hundreds of thousands of Arabs in 1948. That never happened. In fact, Israel, in their Declaration of Independence, handed an olive branch and invited the Arabs who were living there to live in their country peacefully with them. Read the independence, the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel. I know no pro-Israel activist will ever point to the Declaration of Independence, but read it. It extends an olive branch to everybody, saying let's work together and make this country work and make this entire region profitable and, and successful. We have to stop using the terms that give our neighbors and our enemies the ammunition against us. We can't give them the bullets to shoot us with. And we have to stop arguing about the legitimacy of the existence of the state of Israel. We have to stop arguing. That argument's irrelevant. We can't have that argument anymore. We have to stop arguing that Israel's an apartheid state. We have to set a baseline for conversation. There should be absolutely no reason and no way that any pro-Israel advocate should be having to sit there and waste time defending the legitimacy of the state of Israel. No. no. The conversation should start with, you want to talk about policy? We could talk about policy. You want to talk about a little bit of history? We could talk a little bit of history. But, if, but, but the two things that we have to agree on right away before we even start is that Israel has a legitimate right to exist and Israel is not an apartheid state. Because there's no evidence of apartheid in Israel and international law created Israel. That's it. There's no debate. I'm not debating these points. This is our starting point. And this is the, way, this is the position that every pro-Israel person should take and the, the argument shouldn't even come up in conversation. It should be a given that Israel is not an apartheid state and that Israel has the right to exist. If that can't be a given, well, then you shouldn't be arguing with the people you're arguing with. Because then you're arguing with fools. Enough. And the only person who argues with fools are fools. I want to thank you for joining me. I will be back again very soon. And uh, I appreciate you being here and tuning in. Have a great whatever rest of the day it is. And uh, I will see you next time.